Welcome in, everybody, to the Longhorn Republic, your source for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burn Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content over at burnorangenation.com. Before we get started today, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps get the show out there. Share this with your friends wherever you found it, whether it was Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, all of the places where you can find fine podcast content. You can find Kyle and I. Feel free to connect with us on social media at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Well, my name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And I'm joined by a man whose only hope in life is that the early enrollees are on campus. Kyle Carpenter. Kyle, how are you? Hey, man. Uh, Xavier Alford is uh, is all smiles, and so am I. Uh, he... he had a very nice tweet about the the level of service the coaches are giving him are, are is neck and neck with Chick Fil A. That's my kind of dude right there. He's speaking all the love languages: UT, it being back, and delicious, delicious chicken sandwiches. I felt like we were a Popeyes school, though. I felt like Texas was a Popeyes chicken sandwich school. Did I did I make that up? Oh no 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 no. We are absolutely a chicken sandwich school. But I mean, th- th- there is very clear documentation on the type of service you get at Popeyes versus what you get at Chick Fil A. Like at Popeyes, it's like, oh, it's it's or no, at Chick Fil A, it's like, oh, it's my pleasure. At Popeyes, it's like, what else you want? Why are you looking at me? Take your food. Go. You got an extra tender in there. You never know. Like I. I have often gotten my order wrong, but I've never been disappointed with what I got. I feel like Texas is a Chick-fil-A service with a Popeye's chicken sandwich level of chicken would be hopefully maybe the standard that people expect from Texas. I think that was oh five Vince Young. That was that was what we got. Then we didn't realize what we were eating. We thought that was just normal. The the number of times that I've gone to Chick-fil-A and got or not Chick-fil-A, but to Popeye's and gotten an extra tender like hidden underneath my fries. I don't know what yeah. if I know the code, but they always hook a brother up. Maybe it's just because yep. like that big dude wants extra chicken. And it's totally <laughs> fine. I'm okay with it. But we're not here to talk about chicken. We're not here. So we're not here to talk about new players on campus, even though there are eight of them. They showed up and got acclimated on Sundays. All players actually reported back on Monday of the time of recording. But the new eight guys joined them. They count towards the... Uh, the 2019 scholarship numbers. So what's up with that? Love managing those scholarship numbers like that. But we're here to talk about coaching updates. There are some new coaches on campus. We'll talk about whatever the heck the basketball team uh, just committed on the floor here a little bit. Where we're going to try to pretend like basketball isn't a thing, at least for just a little while longer, maybe like Shaka Smart and his players. So Texas announced not one, but two new coaches since we've last been with you. Uh, we'll start with the most recent. Uh, Jay Bulware, formerly of those dirty dirt burglars up north, has now come back home and has been named the associate head coach for special teams and tight ends coach. He played at Texas in 91 and 92, and has been basically coaching ever since. Uh, so early 90s to now, his journey looks like graduate assistant at Texas, Northern Illinois, Arizona, Stanford, Utah, Iowa State, Auburn, and OU. Coached special teams in some capacity at all of those stops except for Northern Illinois and Stanford. So he's got a lot of experience. His probably most recent experience that you can relate to it was his time at Auburn, but Bullware coming home. And this feels like a big time hire for Texas. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, we, we said it on the, the podcast when we look for the, some of the defensive tackle candidates. I mean, we, we always want 
the sons, the fortunate sons, to come on home. Um, especially when you can take from OU, when you can hurt a rival in the process, or uh, at least, you know, um, take some knowledge and institutional knowledge loss from them and bring it over. Uh, it's never a bad thing, you know, and when, when you rescue um, a, a, a unfortunate son who had to live in Norman, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, again, imagine doing your college years in Austin and then you look at your life somewhere in your 40s and you're like, what did I do wrong? When you live in Norman, Oklahoma, no shade to you, Gerald, who lives not in Norman, but in Oklahoma. Um, you know, I think it's I think it's a, a very good hire. He's been in the running back capacity and stand rate, and it seems we'll hold that um, position down. But uh, he, he's been doing that for OU, and they've been having great success. Um, I, I, I think from everything I've heard, um, he has had great success in the tight ends. If he did anything, I think I've heard conflicting reports of if he did any uh, of the OU for even like a year uh, or two while he was on staff, did some, some coaching at the OU tight ends. But uh, they've had great uh, tight ends in that program. So either way, I mean, he, he has seen how to effectively use utilize uh the tight end in an offense because OU does it as good as uh, as good as anyone honestly um so I, i'm excited for this hire um i think it just brings some big 12 knowledge and a guy who clearly knows how to win knows some of the you know you look at two young coaches in herman and riley who both um have an idea of how they want to do things their way and build a program i mean it, it is good to just have the guys like well that's a good idea but you know by the way we did this thing up there and uh, that that seemed to work real well so any of the best practices we can go ahead and just uh, just go ahead and poach from from lincoln riley I'll, I'll take him absolutely riley's one of the smartest guys in college football legitimately uh so i think anything he's done is worth trying again but i also want to look at his time uh Bulwer's time at auburn because there are a couple of things that i do want to point out so he had at least one to a uh, return touchdown mostly in the kick game in each of his years there averaged uh right around 20, 20 plus yards uh, return and then he signed three straight or not three straight but three top 10 tight ends in his time at Auburn and so he guys like Phil Letzenkirk and, uh, and CJ Uzoma who are two of probably the better tight ends if not best tight ends in Auburn history so it's I mean special teams is really where I think Texas needs a bigger impact from mm. him but the fact that he as a he, I mean he coached tight ends at several of his stops I mean the first two of his stops graduate assistant at, at Texas coaching tight ends uh, and then tight ends at Northern Illinois he coached tight ends at Arizona Utah and then again at Auburn so like Texas really has seen a lack of development at the tight end spot and I think this is more than anything a hopeful boon for guys uh, like we talk about a lot where you guys see a guy like Malcolm Epps who actually showed he like tweeted about being a tight end there, there's Jared Wiley those types of guys who mm-hmm. need development as pass catching tight ends and potentially even blocking tight ends like this is a big move for them as well yeah absolutely I mean you, you talk about just some shapeable clay that you have here and in, in a guy like Epps who we've talked about multiple times um, if you think of a tight end just as the, the biggest guy who's furthest inside you know in in the modern game um is is probably some some you know level of that and and hasn't had years and years of coaching and, and just kind of being the receiver. Uh, the same with Jared Wiley, who, who moved over from quarterback, and we really were wowed by his upside. But the, the biggest one, of course, if you're hiring a tight ends coach, the thing you're dangling out in front of folks is the opportunity to work with Librock, who um, was an elite recruit, just an, an unbelievable prep, sco- prep school um, 
player in, in high school and and you think just um now that he's had time to to build his body a little bit with Yancey comes in with a year of learning you know some of the offense and then just learning the college game um should just be ready to be unleashed hopefully uh this year and so Bulware does have something to work with and again a, a tight end who you saw with um Beck let him down a couple times when Ellinger had some drops to him, but uh, a quarterback who looked liked to look towards uh, his tight end and crucial third down and, and red zone situations, uh, not this year, but last with Andrew Beck as the tight end. So Ellinger not afraid to use that position. Not at all. And so I think giving Ellinger that, I think that was one of the biggest development kind of stalls for Ellinger was he didn't have enough safety valves outside of like chunk it up to Colin when he's on the field or chunk it up to DuVernay when he's on the field. So giving him legitimate options to look to at tight end. And, and we'll talk more about this uh, on Thursday show, legitimate options to dump it off to at running back, I think are two big things that will help. So uh, kind of right after we recorded uh, our Thursday show, we also got news that Texas hired a linebackers coach as well. Uh, Coleman Hutzler is going to be the linebacker coach at, uh, for Texas now, he's been with South Carolina for the last four seasons. Uh, he coached uh, linebackers, and he was also the special teams coordinator. He was at uh, Boston College in Florida before that. He's actually coached uh, special teams at several different stops. But this looks like a guy who can have a voice in the special teams room, but also knows, I think, how to develop linebackers. There were some... Uh, South Carolina had some struggles at the linebacker spot the last couple of years, but I really think uh, that may have been a recruiting thing and not necessarily a development thing. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, again, I go back, you just look at this, a guy named named Hutzler, you could pronounce it Hustler, as your linebacker position. I mean, I think we know what the guy is going to coach the same way his, his mentor, uh, you know, guy who, who uh, was the coach in waiting here, Boom. Um, I think he went by Muschamp, but we all know his name was Boom. Because that's how he coached. So you bring Hustler in to coach our linebackers, and you give him, um, you know, again some some good talent. Um, you give a, an, an edge rusher, whether he's going to be an end or an outside linebacker, and and Joseph Osai, who we think is going to be one of the most exciting players in the Big Twelve next year. Um, hopefully, you know, we're able to retain what we have and 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 find even more talent on the roster or on the recruiting trail to fill out that room. But uh, he has the opportunity to come in and kind of. Um, shape this in his image right the next couple years and the recruiting trail and get the linebackers um, he likes in there Um, and and you know I I think it's going to be interesting as we go you know to a four-man front um, most likely that this this position is going to probably have a little bit different responsibility than it did in Todd Orlando's scheme so this is a very interesting position this is a you know Chris Ash had obviously input into this this hire and it's going to be very interesting to watch those two minds um kind of meld and what what they come up with for this uh, this very crucial position in the Big 12 a conference that gets uh, gets the rap of just being you know a spread them out air raid for folks who don't watch it but also sneakily has some really incredible running backs and running attacks in it and that's a relatively young room that he's stepping into to coach the linebackers because you've just got four upperclassmen, Joe Osai, Joan Mitchell, Russell Hine, and Court Jacquez. So, like, you've got Byron Vaughns, Dele, Luke Brockermeyer, Benda, uh, Marcus Tillman, Prince Dorba after signing day. Like, there is a lot of young talent there. And so I think, again, the the question can he can he develop these guys? And and I don't know if we have enough data points to prove that, but that's going to be really where he makes his mark. Is can he develop this young talent? Because the cupboard may not be stocked full, but what's in the cupboard is high quality. What what's what's there is not 
plentiful, but what is there is high quality. I think that's what is going to make or break that unit. Yeah, agreed. And, and again, we'll, we'll see. There may be players who, again, I think of, of Joseph Osai, a guy who actually looked great in whatever system and whatever task he was given. But when put in a natural position, maybe we see a couple other guys who who are able to have some, you know, talent unlocked from what they were asked to do this season. So maybe my my hope is that it isn't as bare as one would think that is both talented um, and um, you know at least too deep in all in all the spots. The coaching staff looks like this. Reports came out uh, in Rappaport reporting that Stan Drayton is going to return to Texas. We also got news from his own Instagram that Frank Ocam is joining his former head coach, his former boss, Matt Rule, in the NFL ranks. So still a spot open at the defensive tackle position. So offense is full. You've got Yursich as your offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach, Herb Hand as your offensive line coach, Stan Drayton as your running backs coach, Andre Coleman as your wide receiver coach, and now again, newly added tight end coach, Jay Bolware. Defensively, we've got Chris Ash as your safeties and defensive coordinator, Oscar Giles as your defensive ends, D tackles presumably still open, Jay Valai as your cornerbacks coach, and then Hutzler as your linebackers coach. So there's a lot. Uh, the, the coaching staff, this staff feels really good. Like there's a, as, as I sit back and look at it, um, this, when you look at, I think what Tom Herman needs to, to create change in his organization, like this is a good group of coaches. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And, and it is not a, a group that is overly familiar. There are some people, I think, when, when Ash was brought in, there was a little worry of his, his Herman just recreating what he knows. Um, and it does feel like, you know, while keeping Coleman um, was a decision probably to the uh, the familiar, that bringing in guys like Valai and Hutzler um, on the defensive side of the ball is definitely going to shake things up. We'll see who the defensive line coach to fill that out is, but you're definitely going to have some shakeup there. I mean, you bring in a sooner in, in coach bowl where you, uh, you know, you held on to hand and Drayton cause you don't want to turn over the whole staff. And if guys certainly earned to keep their position as I think both of those did, then, then those are the guys that stay, but hand Drayton and Giles are going to have um, between the three of them, a lot of work with the support staff as well. Um, but to get the other coaches just kind of up to speed. And if last year, if we were talking about hashtag alignment, then, you know, I don't know what the new um, moniker will be for this year, but uh, alignment works because they're going to need to get every, Everyone very quickly on the same page. The again, like you said, the returning coaches are there. I think to help, especially at some key positions. Uh, so we'll still find out. We'll keep you updated as Texas tries to fill that last spot. Maybe they'll just just drive down I thirty five to another system school and double whatever UTSA is paying Rod Wright. Uh, I think that would be a big win for them. Uh, so, Kyle, I think the, the last thing we want to talk about is that special teams unit that you and I were both highly, highly critical of uh, last year or last season. It seems like it was a year ago now. Uh, but based on the titles, Bowlware is likely to serve as the primary uh, special teams head coach because he's the, again, associate head coach for special teams. So likely it'll be his unit. Uh, but I don't imagine that. Uh, Hutzler doesn't have a voice in this conversation. Yeah, I think after last year, and I mean, it's to their credit, they we talked about it on the podcast, they were pretty good with the punt uh, team. The field goal team was good. So it's not the full special teams, but fielding um, and in some points covering kicks, but especially fielding um, punts and, and kickoffs. I mean, it, it has to change. So if that means you have two coaches, uh, great. 
let them both, you know, get get more eyes on the special teams. I don't think anyone is especially upset with that. But I, I mean, I do think you have to remember you have um, juniors next year in, in Bushevsky and Cameron Dicker. So really, it's a pretty easy job on that side of it with two very productive guys who've been productive now for two years um, coming back and really growing into their own. So that does help a new special teams coach for sure. Yeah, I think the the kicker the kickers are not the ones that I'm concerned about. I need to see Texas safely fielding punts, and I need to see Texas just like make the right decision on kickoffs. Which eight times out of ten, it's letting it go into the end zone for a kneel back. But but being able to create something, uh, a potential spark, like one of the biggest plays we can think of for the last I don't know, probably 15 years is that Jordan Shipley kickoff return in uh, against OU. So like again, what like one a year when you need it is all we hope for from uh, from a special teams unit. So again, we will be back as soon as we know who this last coaching position is. There are a lot of uh, moving pieces. Interviews are likely still happening. So unfortunately, Kyle, we do have to talk about um, whatever the basketball team is doing on the basketball court. So there was a little bit of hope over the weekend. Uh, Texas actually had a lead over Kansas uh, and then blew that lead to fall 66 to 57. It actually was a lot closer than the nine points would indicate. They played the free throw game and Texas couldn't convert late. And then right before we recorded, Texas got absolutely shellacked by number 14, West Virginia. Like, I don't know what other ways to say it, but it was bad. 97 to 59. I like, I don't have words, Kyle. Like, do, do they let Shaka back on the team plane? It's bad. Um, the the patron saint of Texas basketball in, in the modern era has spoken. TJ Ford, right after the game, just said, I don't think anyone would argue with it. It's very disappointing and disheartening to watch the direction Texas Longhorns have now taken. I've never witnessed a blowout of this magnitude in Big 12 play like tonight. That's tough, tough words to swallow, but no one, you know, would argue with them. Um, it was tough to watch. This game just, you know, I, I texted with uh, some some Longhorn friends who were in dismay during the game and asking what was going on. And I said, you know, the, sure, maybe this is a pit snoggle level West Virginia team. They're good, but it's not 1967 UCLA. I mean, this is not the best team in the history of of college basketball. They are they're good. They're going to give people trouble um, this year. They they could you know get hot and be a, a deep tournament team. I don't I don't put any of that past them. But no one should ever beat. UT by 40 points like it just the level of talent we bring in every year you just should have enough that you can at least go out and compete and be respectable and hey you might lose by 15 you might lose by 20 but 40 points and I guess they, they barely escaped that but Texas has done that before just so everyone's aware 40 40 plus four times in program history but the last of those was in 1983 I believe to the uh, the very elite at the time U of H program 106 to 63 so um it's happened but it's been a long time Gerald it's been just about 40 years uh, almost at this point since that happened so it, it is not anything in modernity in in the modern era of UT basketball that we ever expect to happen yeah like at some point when is enough enough? Like when, when is, when is enough embarrassing? Like, and this is probably an apt comparison because they were both hired at the same time, but this feels a lot like Charlie Strong's Kansas game where if this doesn't do it, then what will, if this, if this is not the straw that broke the camel's back, then, then nothing will ever 
rest Shaka Smart from the grips. The only the only thing that I can even imagine is that they don't have the money for the buyout, but I don't believe that. Because there are enough fans that are pissed about this that want him gone. So like there has to be a because the fact that only five Texas players hit more than one basket in the game. Like that's inexcusable. Yeah. Sam Ellinger by himself in a football game scored more points than any Longhorn. If you take Jace Febris' 18 out, more points than any two Longhorns on this team. I mean, just uh, just bad, man. It, it huh, I I have not I have been one of the the most ardent Shaka defenders, and at least the let him see it out, give him time, give him his people, let him do his system. Oh, let's get Yaklich in there. Let's wait. It, no, I. I it's hard to recover from. I don't know what a mid-season coach firing looks like, um, but you know, barring something drastic, I I, I would be very curious um, if there is not, um, you know, real estate agents tripping over themselves to try to list uh, Shaka's house on the market. I mean, it's it just I don't know how you recover from this unless you just you know win win ten of your next twelve. You just win out and win a conference championship. Sure. That's the, only, that's the sure. only way to recover from this. And that is still iffy if I would be okay keeping him around. Still iffy because I'm really, really frustrated right now. Like, I don't know if there's anything else to talk about. Like, I really don't know if there's anything else to talk about about the basketball team. Uh, I mean, hey, let's just say they had a two-game win streak in conference before this, right? Pretty big week. They beat Kansas State. They beat Oklahoma State 76-64. to so we'll always have that to hang our hat on. But <laughs> the fact that we, we jokingly are celebrating winning back-to-back conference games, like it's a big deal um, to kind of tell you the state of, of where we're at. And, and and if I'm being honest, I feel a little bad for Coach Yak because it's not like his defense has been sensational enough to say. I, I think the, the tea leaves, the whispers were that he took a job at Texas uh, kind of with the thinking that he might be coaching waiting in the next man up. Um, but it's not as though their defense has been so phenomenal this year, and that's his bread and butter that it says automatically he jumps. But, uh, again, they, they may be relatively well-equipped to handle a transition uh, in in the worst way. Yeah, I, I think that they've got a built-in replacement at least. And I – I'm weird about firing coaches midseason in any sport. I don't I don't know if it's the right move, but if they do, I think Yaklich is definitely a strong sponsor for an interim, and he's definitely a uh, strong possibility to just drop the interim and become the head coach. But Kyle, like I I have zero excitement left for this basketball season. Like there is there is absolutely nothing to look forward to. There is no level of excitement for me. I don't even care who they're playing next. Like there there is absolutely nothing that you could do at this point to make me watch another Texas basketball game this year. Like absolutely nothing. Jared, let me ask you this. So <laughs> Baylor, unfortunately, moved up to number one in the polls. Kansas, after beating us, moved to uh, their number three right now. Ken Palm has them flipped. There's some tough games ahead. But let's say this. They play Kansas again in, I guess, four games. Their next games are at home against LSU on Saturday. Next Wednesday, they go to Fort Worth. Then they have Iowa State in in Austin before traveling back to Kansas to start February, February 3rd. Um, Monday, they play Kansas. Gerald, if somehow this is a wake-up call for the players and they eke out all three of those games, again, two being at home and, and TCU being um, good, but but not the, the singular power of the Big 12, if they were to get three in a row, 
by the time, would you tune in and be ready for that Kansas game? Like ready for, you know, okay, I'll give you a little, let's see, you can have my heart again. You know, I'll, I'll let you, uh, let you have some vulnerability. I'll watch with, with, with bated breath. They would have to be impressive wins. They'd have to be impressive ones. Okay. Because they, I mean, they looked good against Oklahoma State. They looked good against Kansas State, and they lulled me back in. It's like, oh, maybe that OU game was just an aberration. It was off. Baylor's one of the best teams in the country. So, like, I get I get Baylor. I knew Baylor was going to be an L. I knew Baylor was going to be an L. OU, the collapse was a little frustrating. Yeah. But uh, but the, the Kansas and Kansas State and Oklahoma State game, they looked like they had possibly found and figured something out. And then, like, I don't know if those were the actual players or if those were people pretending to be them against West Virginia. Yeah. I mean, it was three straight games of shooting over, you know, 33% if you use that just kind of as the bar metric um, from deep, which this team is a live or die. But even against Kansas, they went cold late, but they still finished above 33%. This West Virginia game certainly bucked that trend. And it shows that if you aren't a great three-point shooting team, but your offense doesn't have the type of design to it that you can do anything else easily and you fall back to being a just chuck it up three-point team, when it doesn't go in, it gets really, really, really bad really bad and that is probably the best way to leave the discussion about texas men's basketball so let's move on to some more positive news where we honor all the schools or all the teams excuse me at the school that don't get as much shine as they should and they definitely should get more shine than basketball and we down the 40 so Quality basketball does happen in Austin, Texas, and at least by teams from Austin, Texas. Women's basketball has back-to-back big-time wins, uh, a 92-66 to win over Texas Tech, and then a 71-63 to win over Kansas State. Big games from the ladies uh, on the hardwood. Yeah, it, it is nice to see uh, to see the other side of a blowout victory where it's Texas, the good guys. Um, I, I think uh, Charlie Collier putting up a really good game against Tech with twenty three and twelve um, just you know goes to show that she's having just a, a really solid season. Um, I thought the Kansas State win was was maybe equally as impressive because they got it um, from some of the other players. Some of the players we assumed we would be counting on this year in Shug Sutton leading the team with 16 points, Jada Underwood in double digits, um, getting Celeste Taylor 32 minutes off the bench. You know, just, just anytime it's it's besides the two big names we've been seeing in Charlie Collier and Joyner Holmes all season, you feel pretty good when those you win those games. Absolutely. And we said it, I think, last week that uh, the, the women's team has a chance to kind of break out of that milieu right below the top spot uh, in the conference. And so they'll continue that that trek. They're doing a great job of it. They'll be playing on Wednesday, taking on the Kansas Jayhawks. So that'll be the next tilt. You can catch that on the Longhorn Network. And they'll have a game over the weekend against Oklahoma State, trying to extend that winning streak. Speaking of a winning streak. The Texas men's tennis team now has a very interesting winning streak. They have won back-to-back matches when they've taken on the top team in the country. So last year, after beating Ohio State at home, Texas goes to Florida and knocks off the Florida Gators, who were previously ranked number one, five sets to two. Men's tennis, put in the boots. You come in with a number one next to your name, and the Texas men's tennis team is going to do some work. 
Well, I'll say this. The only problem with that streak, Gerald, is if you are number one, you can't beat yourself. Um, and, and Texas should, should be, uh, I believe when next rankings come out, I would imagine number one and should probably carry that. I'm just going to say it most of the rest of this season. So, you know, that, that streak may continue for a while if they just go ahead and don't lose any more games and win another national championship. Just hold on to it. Yuya Ito in a familiar spot named the uh, first Big 12 player of the week from the men's side, uh, a spot where he found himself quite a bit last year and will likely stay. Texas also got a 6-1 win in Dallas over SMU. They swept all six of the single, or all five of the singles matches, excuse me, and dropped one of the doubles matches. So next up for Texas men's tennis is the ITA kickoff weekend. They'll take on Indiana Saturday and either Florida State or Vandy on Sunday in Austin. On the women's side, they didn't play this week, but that didn't stop a Tarati from bringing home some hardware. Uh, and the Tarati won the conference player of the week after going three love or three zero in singles <laughs> matches at the pink flamingo invitational uh she won her second already uh big 12 player of the week she won once last year she's on a three-week uh streak that stretches back to last year big time for the tarati yeah and, and, and gerald I, I, we breaking tarati news you know if you we always are trying to figure out the tarati don we know you can't beat a tarati the only way to beat a tarati is with another tarati we're talking about anna but i mean last year if you if you recall um bianca was the first longhorn to be the number one rated uh, ita number one since 1995 it was all bianca 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 um and now we're all anna 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 so it's like you know do we have a do we have a shifting of the tarotis and our what's your tarotti power ranking right now you know it's a one one a you don't you don't have a chance if you don't have a tarotti is what my power rankings are if you don't have a tarotti you might as well turn a rotty it around Ooh, that's what that's I'm saying. bad very bad. It's awful. It's probably the worst thing I've said <laughs> all day. So the women are going to take on Iowa at home on Friday. They're back in action. A number four men's and women's track dominated the Hilton Invitational to open the indoor season. Five individual winners and two relays. And a quick update if you didn't see it. Football finished with a number next to their name. Number 25 in the final A people. That's right. Number 25 in that poll, one of a, only a couple Texas teams um, with a number next to their name at the end of the year. Baylor was up there. Uh, Texas A&M didn't see them in there. But uh, the, the other news was the uh, in the Sagarin poll came out, Texas was number 15. And if you go by that metric, Tom Herman has improved every year because in his first season after the bowl win over Missouri, uh, they were 27th in the Sagarin ratings last year despite being sugar bowl champions and a 10 win season they were number 17 and this year probably on the back of a really good victory to close out the year over utah they were number 15 so you know sagarin is one of those ratings that both alabama and a&m used to claim national championships 40 years later so i do hesitate a little to uh, to put a whole bunch of stock uh in 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 you know revisionist history but looking at it live number 15 in the sagarin poll number 25 in the ap you know, the bowl game helped. Like we said, it would change the narrative, put a little salve on the wound, and uh, salvage an otherwise, um, you know, underperforming season. I would call it. I would call it a forgettable uh, mid to the season and a kind of memorable close. But again, the narrative is being formed. I think good coaching hires and a win in the bowl is very, 
very helpful. But now's the part of the show where we honor one of the best traditions in all of college athletics, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum brought to you by Joe Ruiz. So, Kyle, what are you banging the drum on this week? You know, I I think I want to bang the drum on an unfortunate son. There is a player, there were two players at UT in my time there uh, who, who were notable in the business honors program, came from a great family. The ESPN stories about their their off-season going with their father and doing medical work in, in rural Nigeria. Um, and I got to know Sam Acho quite well. He won the, uh, at the time, Jurati Award, the academic Heisman. Um, just uh, anything that has ever been said good about Sam Acho, you can take it to the bank and believe it. Great person, obviously a great player. He's still playing in the NFL as the NFL players like rep i believe just has has had a really interesting and really fulfilling and really great career and just is a humble and and wonderful guy and and what i knew from emmanuel acho he hates being called manny i'll say that first of all so feel free to to call him so because manny acho ain't making a whole lot of friends in his new gig on the uh on the commentariat on the espn you know trying to find a a new uh, Stephen A. Smith replacement, and you know uh, the the, the uh, young Skip Bayless. Uh, Manny Acho sees the opportunity and seems to be making a heel turn. He uh, he's had a couple couple riffs already. I'm Team Chris Boyd on this one. He's had a couple riffs with the team already. May not be on the best terms with our current coaching staff. Who knows? Um, but what I will say is, you probably all have seen it this week when he um, he mentioned that. There may have been some pay-for-play for, play for uh, interceptions in the, the national championship game uh, against Alabama. And obviously, if you just read that at face value, you said, okay, that explains Garrett Gilbert's game then. But um, what he was saying was the DBU money makers was actually a real deal. And, and he caught a little backlash when he went out and made that opinion. And, and not too long after said backlash... All of a sudden, he started backpedaling more than any of those defensive backs uh, did in said game, walking it back, saying, of course, I never saw anything. It was just a motivational tactic, uh, yada, yada, yada. And and, and again, um, I'm willing to give Longhorns a chance. Like, if he wants to take his foot out of his mouth, you know, uh, eat whatever crow he must and and walk it back and continue to do a good job but i just hope this doesn't signal the 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 darker heel turn for for maniacho and him uh him no longer being able to represent the longhorns in the light that uh that we need you know um there have been just some some stellar representation maybe you've seen jordan shipley's um milk commercials and in his time obviously all of the um all of the uh people on the Longhorn Network, the former players out there doing well. And then, of course, Steve Mongo McMichael in the WCW. I mean, there have been guys who have taken, you know, their platform of of football player at the University of Texas and, and then gone on to a second career and used it for good. Manny Acho, please don't be the other. It was such a weird... Like, I don't even know how to describe what he did because then he did this awkward backpedal on Twitter where it was just like, well, I never saw money change hands. It was kind of a pregame hype thing and blah, 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 blah. And then he got in the BON mentions and got real salty about it. Uh, And I just like, if you're going to do something for clout, then go all in. 
Like, and I, I don't know what happened. I don't know the veracity of it. It does seem really on brand for uh, for Blake Gideon to cost his team 20 yards of field position and gain $1,000 from it. So that really seems like an on-brand thing <laughs> for him. Maybe that explains that weird, uh, rather than batting down the punt, he intercepted it. He's like, I don't care if it's going to put his 20 yards down the field. I don't care that if in 10 plays, Colt is going to get injured and cost us the game. I'm getting this money. Like that's, That is very, very on-brand for him. Uh, so I got nothing else to say other than I want to clown Emmanuel Lacho as much as I can. So I'm begging the drum this week on an athletic director that has the patience of a saint. Chris Del Conte is a saint for jumping on social media and really connecting and engaging with fans in a way that I think is really healthy and really helpful. I think people abuse that sometimes, uh, making really silly complaints about things that he kind of grins and bears it. But it seems like about every six months, somebody asks him about uh, black alternate uniforms for the football team. And he, he kindly says, no, he, he, he has a very eloquent way of saying, yeah, but no. And then it turns into this big thing on Twitter for three days. And I've seen some really bad mock-ups of black uniforms, and I've seen some not-so-bad mock-ups of black uniforms. But any way you slice it, it doesn't look like Texas. Like, I, I, I very rarely side with tradition for the sake of tradition. That's not me. I'm a firm believer in, well, we've always done it that way, means that you should do it differently. That's just something that I firmly believe. If that's your answer to a question, then you probably should reevaluate why you're doing it. But... That doesn't look like Texas to me, even when it's on the basketball court. The basketball team has done black alternates, and I don't like it. It doesn't look like Texas. Texas football, I think, looked no more like Texas football than when they wore the throwback uniforms this year. I'm so excited there's going to be one fewer dumb patch on the front of the uniform because the person that likes clean design hates the clutter on the front of the uniform. Like, get rid of all of it. Just rock the one Nike patch that you have to via your contract and just be Texas. Like, I don't think the Alabama athletic director is having to field these types of conversations. And most Texas fans, probably incorrectly, classify Texas in the same era as Alabama. Alabama doesn't have alternate uniforms. Michigan doesn't have alternate uniforms. Penn State. Penn State. If you want to be a college football blue blood, like Ohio State has the alternate uniforms, but that's okay. I I don't associate them as being a longtime traditional power like Michigan. They've been around for a while, but I think Michigan, Penn State are probably more storied Big 12 programs or big <laughs> there's 10 there's 12 schools up there. Big 10 programs <laughs> than uh, than Ohio State, but like you're not Oregon. We're not Oklahoma State. We don't have to create buzz because even when Texas is bad, guess what? People are watching. So you don't need that. The icy whites are the best uniform in sports and nothing to me looks better than a burnt orange top, a white helmet, white pants with black socks and black shoes. Yeah, there's no way to uh, to to anger half. There, there is a vocal minority of, of let's get the black uniform folks, but there's a, a strong majority, I would argue, who feel in alignment with uh, with with Chris Conti. There's no 
quicker way to anger that that sleeping majority, if you will, uh, of Texas fans faster than Conor McGregor can knock out uh, his opponent with his shoulder um, than to go ahead and, and even even put out the the thought that you might entertain this. Like like CDC said, you don't need to candy it up. We have tradition. We don't have to go those places that other people do. So uh, I'm glad he's in the right place. Couldn't agree more with with uh, the, the CDC. These are work clothes. Ain't no need to church them up. Sorry, I had to say that just one last time. That's all we've got for you this week. Kyle, where can the good folks find you on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle Carpenter. You can also follow the Texas Pregamer at Texas Pregamer. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodrich. Follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod. Shoot us an email, LonghornRepublicPod at gmail.com. Thank you so much for tuning in again this week. And until next time, Hook 'em. Hook 'em. Run for us, run.